This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. If you weren't here last week, I'm not going to hold it against you, but I thought last week was amazing. I really did. Um, if you missed it, it's, it's online. And it's one of those times that you get done preaching most of the time when you get done delivering a message you're just like that was okay you know and people will tell you that it was awesome some people will be honest and tell you that it wasn't great um but you know last last week was one of those times that um that that you kind of walk off the stage and you think I I did a good job today and I went out and you know like I ever do I do every week and I was uh greeting folks and one person, I'm going to let them re- remain anonymous because of this story, came up to me afterwards. I'm feeling all good about myself and um, feeling like I just did, you know, a great job of bringing God's word and handing it over to you. And, um, and, and this person came up and said, man, Kevin, I was looking at you today and I'm thinking they're going to say, you just did, you did great. And they said, I can tell you hadn't been to the gym in a while. <laughs> what? What'd you just say? So I went to the gym four times this week. Just trying to, trying to get back in a routine. You want to look at that guy and go, forget you. Forget you. I mean, really, really. You just brought me back down to size. I appreciate that. Last week we went through um, a verse out of John 3. It comes out of this really pivotal moment where John the Baptist, though we don't see much of this in Scripture, has a ministry that has emerged on the scene, and it is uh, colossal. It is international. He is uh, baptizing people in a baptism of repentance, and people are flocking to John to be baptized. In the book of Acts, we know that in Greece, Paul encounters people who are baptized in John. According to archaeological evidence, there were people in North Africa that were baptized by John. He is this massive evangelist. And he baptizes Jesus, and Jesus uses that moment as a step into his earthly ministry. And John has, you know, a board, just like most churches do. And um, Jesus sets up camp right down the street from, from John the Baptist. And part of his followers start leaving and going down the street to be with Jesus. And his, his board, his disciples get all upset about this. They come to him, and John, you know, that guy that you baptized, he's, he's down the street now, and all the people that used to come to our church, they're now going to his church. And John makes a statement in John 3.30. He must become greater. I must become less. And it is a statement about Christian maturity. It's a statement that describes spiritual growth. Because in all the world, everything that we want to grow in, everything that we want to get better in involves increase. If I want my bank account to look better, I need more money. If I want to grow physically, it means that I'm going to be taller. My height is going to increase. My strength is going to increase. My endurance is going to increase. But spiritually, the dynamic inverts itself. And to grow, it really means that we must decrease. 
because it is impossible to have more of God if there's more of me. And so John echoes that in that moment. And last week we talked about shifting the focus of our lives away from our stuff and from our plan and shifting away from our life, the kind of life that we want to live and shifting them to Jesus and letting him become the object, the author of our lives, letting him become the focus. The Hebrews in chapter two says, let him be the focus. Let us focus on Jesus. And so we want to fix our eyes on him who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So we, we kind of went through that last week. And to me, that leads me to a, a question. It leads me to a question, and I've often said this to you, with, with God and with life, when you ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong answers. So we really want to identify what the question is. And, and if I were sitting in your seats, if I were encountering for the, maybe for the first time in my life the truth that God really wants me to become less so that he can become greater, my, the question that would be bouncing through my head is, well, how do I become less and Jesus become greater? And I think what we're really asking when we ask that is, how do I grow to become the person that Jesus wants me to be? How do I grow to become the person that Jesus really wants me to be? And most of us do this, and it is a sad reality that we live in, that most of us sit back and we find the person that we think I want to be like. Oh, I, I love the way that she relates to Jesus. I'm just envious of her relationship with God. I want to be like her. So we'll go and talk to her. How, how do you go about serving God? How do you go about pursuing God relationally? What do you do? We'll go through books and Liturgy will ask people for advice. and I would love to look at this verse. It's a little bit out of order for the notes, but this is a quote from Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers, a great Christian writer, said this, Never make a principle out of your experience. Let God be as original with other people as he was with you. You see, what we have a tendency to do is to try to look at life and to find a formula. Like I, I, if you would give me the six steps to being a mature Christian, right? And we love those things. We love those. We, we love the, give me the three things to do. Give me the, and, and the truth about life is, life is not a formula it's a journey. Life is not a formula. It's a journey. And it's impossible to look at someone else and go, well, they seem like they have so much more of Jesus in their life. I want to do what they've done. So could you tell me the six steps to get in? That doesn't work as much as embracing that life is a journey to chase after Jesus and 
You know, the truth is, is that the journey that we've been on, what we've been doing is giving us what we have. We'll say that again. The journey that we've been on, what we have been doing, the steps that we've been taking, the way we've been living is leading us to what we currently have. So if we're going to embrace that life is a journey, but I've been living it in a way that says, I want more of me, but now I'm going to embrace that there needs to be a change. Something needs to change. If I'm going to begin to live a life that says, God, I want more of you and less of me. Y'all with me on that? We're going to have to live differently. We're going to have to look differently than the way the world lives. So if you would, let's look at this first verse out of Romans 12. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the tendency as we live is that there is a pattern that the world lays out in front of us that is normal, that is normative. And those things that we've encountered, that which is normal, is what most of us in our lives, that's the pattern, the mold that our lives have absorbed into. Find a good job, find someone, get married, have a few kids. Buy a house, own that house, drive a nice car. Spend about as much money, maybe just a little bit more than you make, right? There is a pattern to the world. But the Bible tells us that we are not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but that we're supposed to be transformed. And how does it say we're supposed to be transformed? By the renewing of our minds, The renewing of our minds. I don't know if you know this, but you're always changing. If you're a woman, you're changing faster. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. All right? But you're always changing. We're always developing and growing and encountering a world. And that change, the epicenter of that change biologically is happening in our brains. In the Bible, well before we ever understood the biology of a human anatomy, says, if you're going to break free of the pattern that is in the world, your mind is going to have to be transformed and renewed. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, the thing about that verse is it lets us know that there are ideas that exist that are contrary to the truth of God. And they're going to come at our minds almost like a living being. That they're going to be an army, a soldier that is coming against us. But we are called 
to take those thoughts captive. That those thoughts, those ideas that are contrary to the things of God, we're called to take them captive. That there is work to be done inside of our minds as we go through this process of being renewed. I love Margaret Thatcher, the old prime minister of of England, said this. Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become your character And watch your character, for it will become your destiny. You see, what is happening in our minds will play out into our actions and inevitably will become a part of who we are. One of our partner churches put together a phenomenal video that deals with the renewing of our mind. It, it, it shows it in, in just a couple minutes in a way that, that it would take me 30 minutes to describe it. Let's take a moment and watch this video. The human brain, made of approximately 100 billion neurons, the same number of stars that exist within our galaxy, The human brain monitors and regulates all of the body's actions and reactions. With over 5 trillion chemical operations occurring every second and signals being transferred at speeds of over 260 miles per hour, our brain is rapidly analyzing and responding to all of the sights, sounds, and smells all around us. Now, because we are all born slaves to sin, our mind has been programmed to behave out of selfish desire. The way we think, dream, reason, and act are limited to the ways of this world. Now consider the facts for a moment. For every behavior we experience, our brain creates a neurological pathway. As behaviors are repeated, those pathways become increasingly more stable. Think of it this way. A single behavior maps out a dirt road in your brain, creating a basic pathway for your thoughts to travel. But as you repeat behaviors, your brain builds a highway, allowing for an increased volume and frequency of thoughts to move about, resulting in your day-to-day actions. In order to change our behavior, we must reprogram our brain It requires the deconstruction of existing highways and is a process that takes time. The Bible directs us to take every thought captive and to commit daily to the renewing of our mind through the power of God's Word. And in time, the result is the formation of an entirely new neurological roadmap, leading you to the life you were meant to live. So if we're going to look at ourselves and say, forget you, forget you, forget you, forget trying to be filled with me, forget trying to be motivated just out of selfish ambition, forget all of that. If we're going to make that adjustment, we're going to have to do the work to renew our minds, what the Bible says to do, to take thoughts captive and to renew our mind. So today I want to look at three things that we can do to renew our mind. 
And these are, this isn't a formula. This is a lifestyle of living. The first thing that I would tell you that you need to do to renew your mind is to start with spending time with Jesus. Start with spending time with Jesus. The very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he invited people with the simplest of words. And, and I think that in some ways, the church here in, in North America has, has morphed to where we don't really get what he said originally to the people that followed him. He, he simply went to them and said, would you follow me? Would you, would you follow me? I, I see you're a fisherman. Well, I could make you a fisher of men. Would you follow me? You've been a zealot. You've been working really hard with a lot of zeal for the Lord. You have been the kind of person that's been labeled and ostracized, but can we take that passion and channel it towards the right thing? Would you follow me? Matthew, you've been willing to step outside of the social construct to be a tax collector. You obviously don't care very much about what people think about you, but could we take that and invest that into you being willing to just unashamedly, with full abandon following Jesus, will you follow me? That's the invitation for us as disciples of Jesus. And it's remarkable that many of us, in the back of our minds, we go, I don't know what that means. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, my first question is, well, have you been spending time with him? Because it's impossible to follow somebody that you don't know. It's impossible to take the next step on a plan that you don't even have, right? And it's not like God's going to come down in a dream and give you a point A to point Z roadmap. I think more often in my life, God has asked me to rely on him for the next step. And so I spend time with Jesus because in that time, Jesus lets me know what the next step is going to be. I talk to God about the situation because he is the one that I'm relying on. God, give me direction. Lord, I I need to know where to go in this. He's also the one that corrects us and changes us. In Hebrews, the Bible tells us that he disciplines us because he loves us. He's the one that when we spend time with him, he'll go, Kevin, I don't want you to think like that anymore. Kevin, that place that you went after you thought about that thing, that is something that we've got to get that under control. We've got to do some work to combat that thought. So here's what I want you to do. See, I've got to spend time with Jesus if I'm ever going to have direction. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. If we're not going to chase Jesus, 
We're not going to chase anything that's worthwhile. He is the way. And so the first step to renewing our mind is to spend time with God. The second step, the second thing that I would tell you that you need to do is you need to work with the right tools. Work with the right tools. Because it is work. It is an undertaking to encounter God and to be transformed in your mind. It is work. But all too often, we've mistaken the invitation of God as God looking at us and saying, you are so awesome. I want you to be such and such kind of leader. I want you to be whatever. I'm going to raise you up. Jesus said, follow me. He said, follow me to me. I mean, the truth is, is that this whole church was birthed out of a moment when I said, I don't even know if it's going to be successful. I mean, I'm not, even, I'm not even sure that we can make this happen, but I'm at a point in life where I feel like if I don't do it, I don't care. I don't care if it's successful because I feel like God's called me to do it. And I'm willing to fail trying to be obedient. So here are three things that I think are the right tools that we need in our hands. The first thing that I would say is humility. That we need humility. In John 3.30, the verse that we've kind of anchored ourselves in. Think about that. One of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known. Jesus said of John the Baptist, the world has never known a greater prophet. And he looked down the street as his numbers were shrinking and Jesus' numbers were increasing and he said, my joy is is increasing. That's what he said right before in verse 29. Because he must become greater and I must become less. See, there's a lot of humility in that statement. There's a lot of knowing who you are in that statement. He knew he wasn't the Messiah and it was a pitiful thing if he was going to try to insert himself as Messiah over Jesus. He knew he wasn't the leader. He knew he was the follower. He knew who he was. And because of that, he was humble. I'm going to tell you something. This is something that I wrote down while I was studying this week. I haven't read this anywhere, but this is something that I, I believe with all my heart. Anything that doesn't provoke humility is not growing you in the things of God. Anything that doesn't provoke humility is not growing you in the things of God. Because I believe wholeheartedly that as we get closer to God, we realize how futile and fail-filled we are. 
And if as you, if you're doing something that is drawing, you feel like it's getting you closer to God, but it is not provoking you to humility. It's actually doing the opposite thing. It's making you feel like you're stronger, you're more competent. If it's, if it's growing your ego, not your humility, it's probably not of God. The second thing that I would tell you that we need, the right tool that we need is the scriptures. We need the scriptures. The Bible tells us to take those rogue thoughts captive. That they're... The imagery is, again, like a soldier that is attacking your mind. And we are called to take them captive. In the very beginning, as Jesus is beginning to uh, engage in his earthly ministry, there is this very strange moment when he allows the devil to come and have a conversation with him. The Son of God lets... The devil tempt him. And every time, every time that Satan offers something to Jesus, he does not respond in his own words. Understand that he is God, wrapped in human flesh. But he doesn't say his own words. He comes back with Scripture. Every single time. And what's interesting is that the scriptures actually come out of a two-chapter segment in the book of Deuteronomy. It's almost like he woke up at his devotion, and when Satan came to tempt him, he's like, oh, from this morning, yes, no, this verse. No, oh, yes, no, no, this verse from this morning. You see, he used the Bible to take captive and he gives us a pattern as to what we so if you're dealing with fear if you're dealing with stress or anxiety you need to memorize scripture so when those things come against you you can take it captive by the power of the scriptures the third thing that I would tell you that we need is that we need patience we need patience you see If life is a formula, all you have to do is add the stuff in the formula and you get the quick fix at the end. And most of us think about it in that way. Well, I'm doing my devotions. I'm trying to spend time with God and my kids are still a mess. Well, are you... Are you spending time with your kids? <laughs> I mean, let's, and how long have we been going at this? I mean, if it's like a few weeks and you spend a few years getting in that mess, it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. We need to have patience because it is a journey. Life is a journey that God has invited us on to follow him. Look at this verse out of Romans 8. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must 
wait patiently and confidently. See, we were given a hope. We were given a hope in Jesus. And there are going to be some things in life that we don't have right now. There are going to be some things, some solutions, some things that we want to see fixed, some things that are going on that we're battling, we're struggling, we're pushing against, and it's not going to be quick fixed. Because God wants us to live in hope and patience and to do the work that it takes to rebuild The third thing that I would tell you is to focus on daily obedience. Romans 6.16 says this. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one that you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Can I tell you something? I don't care who you are in this room. I don't care how much money you have in your bank account. I don't care what your job looks like. You are following somebody. There is somebody that you're obeying. You might be sitting there thinking, you're crazy. (laughs) I'm a self-employed guy. I get up at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, whenever I want to. I have my coffee, read my newspaper, and when I feel like it, I go to work. Well, you're obeying you. That's what's happening. Because you're all obeying somebody. And if we're going to embrace a life that says, I want more of you, God, and I want less of me. If we're going to be that kind of person, if we're going to embrace that kind of lifestyle, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to be obedient to God. And we're going to have to focus ourselves on responding to what God tells us to do. I love, a friend of mine says it this way, that our closeness to Jesus can be measured by the time it takes from his command to my obedience. Our closeness to Jesus can be measured from the time it takes from his command to my obedience. Think about that with me. When God speaks, do you move? Or do you sit there and go, I'm not sure that was God. <laughs> That's scary. I don't want to do that. I ain't going nowhere. God, you're going to have to convince me it's you. And God writes it in the sky, and you're like, I don't, you know, I still don't know if that was God. I'm not there right now. See, We need to understand something. Delayed obedience is disobedience. 
Delayed obedience is disobedience. If God has told you to move and you keep looking at God going, wait, I ain't ready. Not yet. God, I don't feel safe. There ain't enough money in the bank account right now, God. I can't do it. If you keep looking at God and saying, no, God, I can't. No, God, I can't. No, I can't. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And if we're going to embrace a life that says, I want more of him and less of me, we're going to have to learn to respond to his voice. That's why we spend time with him, so that during that time he can lead us, and then we, by God's grace, respond to him. So there might be an occasion for you to look in the mirror before too long. And you might come out of a a moment with God and God has told you, I want you to go to this person and I want you to encourage them. And you say, God, but I'm scared. You might need to walk and look in the mirror and go, forget you. Forget you. I got I got one of the sweetest letters I've gotten so far uh, this week. It was from a from a wife in our in our church, and after we had launched about two months into it, she just sent me a, a quick note said, "Hey, we're going through some financial problems. Would you please pray for us? Please don't think too bad of us because we we're not giving right now, and we just feel like we can't because of all the bills and all that kind of stuff." And um, I gave her some advice and I pointed her in the direction of a couple books, you know, and that kind of thing. And They ended up, as a, as a family, going through financial peace uh, with us this past fall. And um, it, in the letter, she said, thank you. Because I, I never would have imagined that God could do more with 90% than he than I could with a hundred percent. I never never could have embraced that a few months ago. And you know, there might be a time that God looks at you and says, I want you to give and you sit there and you go, I don't know that I can give like that, but maybe you need to walk into the bathroom and look in the mirror and go, forget you. There might be a family member that's hurt you and they, they have. They've hurt you. There was something that was just sinful and wrong. And because of that, they, they wounded you. And maybe for a long time, you've been carrying bitterness associated with that. But maybe you need to walk into the bathroom and look at yourself and say, you know, God's plan is that we forgive. That's how he, he loves us. It's the only reason I can be right with him is because he's loved me and forgiven me. And so, forget you. I'm going to forgive. You know, the reason that you can forget you is because you can rest assured that God is never going to forget you. See, I can look in my life and say, I don't have to worry about me anymore. 
I don't have to put myself forward. I don't have to always try to elevate myself. I don't have to always try to get what's mine from other people. You know why? I I can forget me because God is never going to forget me. Let's go back to that quote from Margaret Thatcher. Think about this with me, with a renewed mind, a mind that has done the work to go through the time of renewal, to go through the time where the Holy Spirit has altered the way that we live, that with different thoughts will come different words. With better thoughts come better words. And with better thoughts and better words come better actions because my actions have been renewed. And if I have better words, better actions, then that's going to generate more healthy habits. And if my habits can change, if my habits can become better, then my character can become better. If my habits can change, then my character can change. And if my character can change, the destiny of my life can change. All By looking at God and saying, God, I want less of me and I want more of you. Let's pray. God, today as we we pause and really just wrestle with the fact that you've told us that life is not about us. That life is not supposed to be centered on us that life is supposed to be about you. God, many of us have been living lives that have said, let me just get more. Let me get more of me. Let me get more of stuff that I want. Let me follow my plan. Let me do it my own way. And today, God, I pray that many of us would see that life is not going to be lived well if it's only lived for us. So, God, would you come and those of us that are living lives that are full of ourselves, those of us that are doing what is only for us, those of us that are living that way, God, would you come and by the power of your Holy Spirit convict us and set us free today. With nobody looking around right now, every Eye closed, heads bowed, nobody stirring or moving. Let me ask you today, if you're that person, that your life right now, it's full of you. It's not a condemnation of bad or, or good. It's just the truth that right now your life is being lived on your plan, your way. And maybe today you realize that you don't want to live that way. That you want to live a life that is full of Jesus. That embraces the truth that if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to do what God would have me to do, it would be less of me and more of him. 
If you would say right now, my life is full of me, but I want more of Jesus, would you raise your hand right now if that's you? Awesome. My life is full of me, but I want more of Jesus. Is there anybody else today that you would say that that's me? So God, today, for those of us that raised our hands, maybe for some of us today, it's a moment that we're recommitting our lives to you. We're looking again at the commitment that we've made to you and saying, God, I I want to lay it down. I want to lay down my life. I'm tired of doing this my way. It's all about you, Jesus. For some of us, it's maybe we've went through a season that we've let ourselves grow too big. And God, we ask that you would come and free us from that. And we thank you, God, that you've invited us into a life that is filled with you and not filled with us because you are the greatest prize we'll ever receive in this earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.